listening to the life in paradise podcast with your host brandon harper brandon harper what's going on everybody welcome back to another episode of life in paradise podcast i'm your host brandon harper i kind of feel like that's how fast i gotta talk to make it through my intro in one minute but i'm gonna go for it i'm just a regular dude with a regular job and lots and lots of opinions so i come here about once every week or two to get them off my chest some you'll agree with, and others you won't, and I'm perfectly okay with that. If there's one thing you'll learn about me, it's that I don't do pre-recorded intros. And I fully believe that the world would be a better place if we could all disagree without being disagreeable. And no matter what, don't forget that I don't do pre-recorded intros. Man, see, that was a minute, almost over a minute already, I feel like, and I'm... I barely got through it all. But anyway, sit back, relax, and let me run the trigger for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. Well, 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 here we are, back on a Monday instead of Sunday, which, you know, I hope that there's a small group of people out there, not a huge group, but I'd be lying if I said that I didn't kind of wish there were some people who were disappointed that there was no podcast today when they woke up. You know, if, if, I, if that's true, then I'm doing something right. If there are people who think, man, I didn't even notice, then man, <laughs> I'm doing something wrong. I'm, and I'm telling you guys, you have no idea how, I'm not, I don't want to say frustrating, but how baffling it might be to try to produce art and content and opinions and do what I do and put it out there. And I put it out there for the intentions of other people being able to hear it. Although I don't really think that I would be altered by what people say or what kind of feedback I get. It's really tough at times to get motivated to go sit down and record a podcast and do all the editing, not knowing what anybody thinks. Just just put yourself in that position for a minute, and maybe I can get some feedback from you guys. I think throughout the course of this entire podcast, I've had one person <laughs> tell me one time what they thought about one thing. And that's, man, it's like a long time I've been doing this, but whatever, you know? You don't want to give me any feedback. You don't have to give me any feedback. But if you do, I would be grateful. How many people do you know that ask for criticism? That's all I'm going to say. That's all I'm going to say about that. And I'm not sitting here telling you that it's going to change my behavior. But, you know, I, I'm willing to hear what you have to say, believe it or not. You get to hear my opinion, and I never get to hear yours. Just think about that. Y'all remember this song? I bet Some of y'all are not going to remember this song. But some of you are. And some of you are going to remember hearing about it. And some of you will have never heard of it. I remember singing this song in a play. And I'm going to come back to it. There's a reason why. 
Listen, just listen. Oh, I'd love to be an Oscar Mayer winner. Y'all remember? That is what I truly like to be. Because if I were an Oscar Mayer winner, everyone would be in love with me. Oh, I'm glad I'm not an Oscar Mayer winner. That is what I never want to be. Because if I were an Oscar Mayer winner, there would soon be nothing left of me. Me? What a classic jingle. What a classic jingle. You know, I feel like jingles are kind of going away. Like jingles are kind of a thing of the past. I don't know. Maybe I'm just out of the marketing game, but that, what a classic jingle. And so I heard that jingle the other day and I thought to myself, what were they thinking making a song about wieners? <laughs> and, and then from there, you see, this is how my little squirrel brain works. From there, I thought, Okay, so they made a song about an Oscar Mayer wiener, and they're happy to say the word wiener, and they sing the song about wiener, and I don't think they would release that today. But then I thought, wait a minute, now we're supposed to be moving to the left. The The spectrum of acceptability, or what, you know, if you think about the 60s and the 70s, whenever they were reluctant to show people sleeping in the same bed, right? So we can all admit that now they show a lot more than that. But I heard the other day someone talking about the solar system. And they wouldn't call it Uranus, which I think is highly funny, and I like to make a joke of it. And every time I can make a Uranus joke, I will. But he wouldn't say Uranus. He called it Uranus. And maybe that's the correct way to say it. But I feel like he was trying to avoid the jokes or maybe be politically correct. Here's another example. I saw someone or I've seen people post pictures of their dogs on Instagram, social media, whatever. But let's just say it's a male dog, and he's flipped over on his back. And they'll put like a, a heart on the dog wiener, or like a little face or a star. So for whatever reason, the, the dog parent fur baby, or whatever we're calling them these days, didn't feel comfortable with Rover's Rover just dangling all out when Rover's on his back. Even though he's been neutered and he has no dog testicles, they don't want you seeing a picture of the dog wiener. And then it all kind of just started fighting out in my head. Okay, let's sort this out. Let's, let's sort through this. If we're all admitting that times have changed and we're, we're more open about our sexuality or whatever, and we're, we're not willing to hide the fact that two daddies can be husbands and the girls can have two mommies and you know we're willing to put all that out there and that men can be women and women can be men and I know not everyone thinks that but there's a portion who does but at the same time we're not we're not willing to let a dog wiener show on Instagram like what is first of all the fact that you think that there's something sexual about that that you need to cover it up is a little bit concerning to me okay but we won't go down there but we will go down the rabbit hole of rationale. Is it why is it in the '60s we made jingles about wieners and maybe maybe the word wasn't around then? I don't know, but I know it was in the '80s and '90s when I was a kid, and I remember singing this song at like a little elementary school play. And I think I don't know for sure. I will never know the answer to this, but I think I was a baloney. I think I had a big old round thing around me, and my little face. My little chatito 
face sticking out the, the hole, the middle of the baloney. I could be wrong, but that's how I remember it. But we had no issues with singing I Wish I Were Oscar Mayer Wiener back then. But now I feel like that they wouldn't play that song because, like, well, I don't know. It's kind of it's about wieners, and we don't really want people making jokes and making fun. And if you put it all together, the logic doesn't align, right? It doesn't. It you can't have yes, we're moving to the left, and yes, we're willing to say things that we've never said before, and yes, we'll drop the f bomb anywhere, anytime, any place, and it's kind of cool to do that, and it's cool to cuss. Back then, it wasn't, so we've shifted that way to the left. But we're putting hearts and stars and smiley faces over dog penises. Why? What? Why? What? There's, see, there's no logic to this, in my opinion. It's just my opinion. I would love for someone to let me know the other side of this and tell me why they think it's important that we put stars over dog wieners. But we're okay teaching children that it's fine to have a daddy who dresses like a mommy and a mommy who dresses like a daddy. It's okay for that. See, you follow me here? This is, These are the things, they don't keep me up at night, but these are the things that I think about at night. It's just like it's just an inconsistency in our behavior. And we're not allowed to question them or otherwise we'll be told we don't like gay people or we don't like fur babies. Or t- take your pick. There's always a reason why you're not supposed to question things. And that gives me more of a reason to question things. And y'all remember the fashion store called Wieners? I think they're still around. I just <laughs> I wonder I wonder what they're thinking. You know, when they even in the sixties. Whenever they, they formed the store, the 80s, or whenever it was, and we should have a store named Wieners. Uh, why would you name your store Wieners? Well, the, the guy, John Wiener, he was the founder of it. Yeah, but still, let's not call it Wieners. <laughs> That's funny. It's funny to me. I don't know. I love plays on words. I think it's funny to joke around with words, but I also wouldn't name my business Wieners. Or maybe I would. Maybe I would. It would be a huge eggplant. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to open a business called Wiener's eggplants, and I'm going to sell giant eggplants online. And it's going to go to wieneregplants.com. We out here on the fit deer highway with the whole white baby in the middle of the road. I love the way he says road. <laughs> road. I wish, I wish English had rolling R's because I like to roll my R's. I think it's funny when people can't do that. I, I tend to give them a hard time. And I always like try to help them. I make them try, and then I laugh at them a little bit. And I ho- I hope it's kind of laughing with them. And then I make them try again, and then I help them. And some of them can figure it out, and other people can't. And that's just that's just the way that we learn to not speak. You know, different languages have uh, your your mouth moves in different ways in your throat, and it's incredible to me how different the just the sounds that we make. Not to mention, like, the inflection or the the tone. And, and when I say tone, I mean two ways, right? I mean, some some languages, they don't have cotton candy. They don't tiptoe. There's no eggshells. They don't have words to describe things, like, um, diligently. Or I, I don't know how to explain it, but they don't, they don't have a way to sugarcoat things. Instead of saying, hey, um... How's your workout going? They would say, you're looking fat. <laughs> you know, th- there's no easing into things with their culture. Instead of saying, like, 
hey, you look good. Have you been um, working out? They'd say, it is very clear you have been at the gym, which is nice because you were kind of puffy. <laughs> and also just the, the tone of their words. So Vietnamese, for instance, when they talk, it sounds like they're very angry. And just, just because the way that their mouths work is different. So we associate that tone of that strength of voice with anger. And with them, it's just like, no, that's just, that's how we talk. It's incredible to me how many different languages there are and how it can, it can separate a culture. If you don't understand that, you might assume that they're mad at you. And you're like, man, I like Vietnamese people. But they always be yelling at me. I don't do nothing wrong. I don't do nothing. And they're yelling at me. And people who are non-native English speakers will also over-enunciate. If you hear someone like from an Asian country and they're talking about the word climber, you know, they'll overemphasize the B. Climber, climber. And we don't, we say climber. And the way that we say climber, you almost don't hear the B. But when they learn English from a, a second language and they see the B, they hit climber. Yeah. Incredible to me. I love it. I think it's funny that we joke about it. I don't think there's, it's not a reason not to joke with someone. It's just a difference. That's You cannot stop Brandon. You can only hope to contain him. You know, recently I've gotten to be friends with, and this is kind of what started me on this whole, this trail of dialect. I've gotten to be friends with a guy who, who is an Indian guy, but he was raised 100% of his life in America, but by two Indian immigrant parents. And what I'm about to say to you is not, it's not a revelation. It's something that a lot of you have probably already heard. But I think it's good to, to hear it and to understand it and to think about it whenever we, we see and hear things that we disagree with. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into my, my spiel here in a second. But a lot of times today, you hear people saying, Immigrants have it so bad. Immigrants need this. And immigrants, we should embrace immigrants and minorities, and we want to just give things away to everyone. And then you have a couple that moves over here from India at 19 years old, 20, something like that. No direction, no money, no knowledge, came straight from a farm, and they thought to themselves, you know what? I'm going to go over there, and I'm going to figure it out. I don't know the language. I don't even know how their currency works. I can't get around, but I'm going to figure it out. And they come over here, and they do that. And they become successful and they have children and they carry those values, those values, which say you will give everything you have into everything you do. And if you don't do well, it's because you're not trying hard enough. And if you're not capable of doing something that we think you're capable of doing, we will figure out how to get you help. But you are, and this is the parents talking to their kids, right? Raising their kids. You are not going to come over here and act like all these other kids, you are going to keep our values, and you will go far in life. And, man, I tell you what, they're not wrong. They are not wrong. I was comparing and contrasting his, his life with, with someone else's life that he knows, and he was you know, kind of making excuses for their behavior, saying, well, you know, it's not, everyone's kind of different. And I said, no, you were raised by Indian parents, and he was raised by 
American parents. And nothing wrong with American parents. But we can all admit that the American way of going over there and figuring it out has been bred out a little bit. It's been a little bit diluted because that's not in everyone's DNA. It's not in anyone's DNA, actually. It has to be taught to you by your parents. But over time, the American culture has gotten to be pretty chill. You know, you can get by in America and not really try all that hard. And I don't want to hear the, Oh, but the wealth gap is so big and the rich are just getting richer and the poor just keep getting poorer. Because you can try hard and you can do well, or you can not try hard and not do well. And you can try kind of hard and do kind of well. That's America. Contrasted to somewhere like India, where you have to try your butt off just to do okay. You have to get everything you got. And the only people who can do well are people that were either taken under someone's wing or they were just gifted with an, an incredible amount of knowledge and genius-like IQ. But it doesn't stop them from trying. They realize that the only way that they can get ahead in India is if they outwork everyone and they outthink everyone. And this holds true to a lot of cultures. Japanese, a lot of the Asian cultures are this way. And there are a lot of people also who immigrate from Africa, Nigeria, Somalia, Ethiopia, Uganda. I encourage you, if you ever get in an Uber, talk to the driver. If you're in a big city, chances are they will be from the African continent. And man, whenever I have someone that's from the African continent, I start picking their brains. Tell me what you like about America. Tell me what you think about these people who think that they've been oppressed because they're minorities. Tell me what you think about them. And most of them just laugh at them. And they say, these people have no idea. They have no idea how good they have it. And they want free handouts from the government. Compared to where they came from, where government kills people if they speak out against them, contrasted to where they are now, where they expect free things from the government. And you'll get an accurate representation from an outsider's perspective of how great it is here. And that's what I saw when I was talking to my friend about how he was being raised. And he alluded to the fact that he didn't really like school. He didn't enjoy it. He wanted to get out so he could do his own things and start his own businesses. But he went to college. He tried hard. And he made A's because his parents wanted him. And technically, he's not even out of college yet. He's a junior in college. Be a senior, I think, soon. So my whole point is that he, he did it for his parents, and he knew that he committed to something. And then he should finish it. And that is such a powerful thing. To make your kids want to make the parents happy. Now there's people out there who disagree and say, no, that's not good. We shouldn't pressure our kids to do well. There's a difference between telling your kid to do well. And if they don't, they get punished. Versus telling your kid or, or raising your kid in a way to where they want to do well. Two very, very different things. It's the same thing in dog training. I can make a dog do anything, but there's two different ways to get there. I can make it want to do anything, or I can make it do it because it has to do anything. And I tell you what, it's a lot easier, it's a lot simpler, it's a lot faster to make an animal do something because it has to. But when you get an animal that does something because it wants to, it looks different, it feels different, the animal's happy, the dog's tail's wagging, and there's a synergy there. And I think that's kind of where we missed the mark. We assume that that pressuring your child to do well is not motivating them from a young age and and 
creating a child that wants to do well, we assume it's, if you don't do well, I'm going to kick your ass. And it do not have to be that way. It do not. I've known maybe one, not counting this family, I've known maybe one, maybe two American families who instilled the desire for their kids to want to do well. That the, the parents took a particular angle and they thought about it when they were raising their kids. We need to make sure that fill in the blank so that fill in the blank in the long run. And I think if you don't spend the time thinking about those things and planning them out and, and executing an idea to make sure that your kid wants to do well, well, you're going to just end up with a kid who maybe does okay and you know maybe just can kind of coast through college. Now, in my case, I feel like I could have been pushed quite a bit harder. And I don't blame my mom. Not, not, not one of the, bit of this is me blaming her for anything. I'm extremely happy with my situation. But I feel like that I could have handled more pressure. I could have, uh, I, I would have succeeded with more pressure. But it was easy for me to put in the same amount of work that all my friends were putting in and do the same or a little bit better kind of than I was expected. And so that's just part of who we are. It, it makes us who we are. I'm not saying I would go back and change things. But as I get older, I can definitely see the difference in how implementing those, those ideals, those values, that culture at a young age carries on. That's right. Every town got two malls. Every town got two malls. That's right. They got the white mall <laughs> and the mall white people used to go to. Uh, they ain't shit in the black mall. Love my black people, hate my black mall. They don't got nothing in the black mall but sneakers and baby clothes. I guess that's all they think we doing, running and fucking. Speaking of Joe Biden, I don't know if you noticed, but the other day he actually made a trip to the border, which is, man, it's just comical to watch these people and their antics and their strategy and the timing of when they do things and what they say. And, you know, so after the midterms, after the speaker's been selected, he hops in a plane and he goes to the Mexican border. He starts talking about all these things we need to do to secure the border and tighten up security. And, you know, we have a border crisis now. And it's so funny to me that three weeks ago, four weeks ago, two years ago, he wouldn't address it. He wouldn't even talk about it. He would say, Things like, oh, we're working on immigration reform. Um, we're trying to, to make sure that we set the proper pathway to citizenship. But he would never respond to the idea that they were doing nothing to stop people from flooding the country. And it's time that we start recognizing these. <laughs> sound like them. See what happens? You talk about them enough, you start sounding like them. It's important that we start recognizing these things. And paying attention to them and saying, wait a minute, time out. How are you just saying there's no border problem and now you're saying there's a border problem? Whether or not you agree or disagree that there's a border problem, it's clear that he ignored something for two years and then jumped on it. And I just wish I knew precisely the game plan that was laid out. I want to hear the internal conversation. We can sit here and speculate all day about what happened and why he did it, but man... I would just like to know why all of a sudden I can't imagine Joe Byron waking up and be like, Joe, wake up, Joey. 
Joe, today we're talking about the border. What? The border? There was no problem at the border. No, Joe. Today, they're, starting today, starting today, you're going to talk about how bad the border is. But uh, you told me uh, three weeks ago to not talk about the border. I know, Joe. Trust us. We got this under control. I, I would love to hear that conversation. I've traveled over 140 countries around the world. As I was, the, I'll paraphrase the phrase in my old neighborhood. The rest of the countries, the world's not a patch on our genes. If we do what we want to do, we need to do. I'll paraphrase a phrase from my old neighborhood. The rest of the country is the world's not a patch on our genes. If we do what we want to do and what we need to do. Well, now that's clear as mud, Joe. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Joe, if I asked you to define America, what would you say? America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. Okay. I was going to put him in uh, foot. Easy for you to say, Joe. Try again. I was going to put him in uh, foot. Okay, we'll call it a day. Take Joe back to the pigeons. I want to whip his behind. That's what I want to do right now. If I thought they wouldn't take me to jail, I'd whip his behind right now. Me and you both, sister. Me and you both would whip his behind. All right, speaking of whip behinds, I recently had to ask an employee to seek excellence elsewhere at the brewery. That's a polite way for saying they got fired. Now, I don't like firing people. It's the worst part of my job. I hate it. But sometimes there comes a time where it has to happen. But as I get more experience in the restaurant industry, and I'm learning how to identify traits in people that will predict whether or not they make it. And we're not a big company. We're not a huge McDonald's where it has all these standard operating procedures and pictures and photos. We require a lot of brain work on, on site. So I've come to figure out, I can normally identify pretty quickly within the next, within the next, within the first three weeks, I can normally say about how long they'll make it. I've been wrong. But I'm also becoming more right, so I'm getting more accurate. And it's hard for me to happy be happy to have someone around whenever I've already made up my mind and, and they continue showing these signs that confirmed that I already picked that, no, nope, they're not going to make it. It's difficult for me. I'm getting better at that, too. I want people to prove me wrong. I, when I say prove me wrong, I'm talking about in my own head, the little argument that happens in my head, and I think to myself, Yes, they're going to make it. No, they're not going to make it. And here's why. And I want to be proven wrong. I really do because turnover sucks. It's not fun to lose people. It puts everyone in a bind. It costs money, time, energy. It's not fun. Ideally, we would have the same people from the day we open forever. And they would all get rich along the way. That's, that's my goal is to make employees wealthy and happy and enjoy their job and love what they do. That's my goal. But quite some time ago, I had to let an individual go. And I didn't have the intentions of letting them go, although I'd kind of, in my head, figured out that they weren't going to make it, but I wanted them to prove me wrong because they had some very, very re- good, like, redeeming qualities, things that I thought, man, that is valuable. It's a valuable trait. Looking back on it, I think why I didn't ask myself, if he has all these good traits, why is he not advanced farther into his career? 
based on his age. And now I'll know to ask that. So either way, this individual was very, very difficult to communicate with. And they didn't, they didn't track normal logic. They didn't follow the flow of thoughts and actions and reactions. It was just kind of a do as much as I can, as fast as I can, and do the best job I can. And it was like there, there, there was not, not a lot of thought. It was all about how can I do the most to make myself look the best. And if that meant smashing people around me, then that's what I got to do, which I really admire competitive spirit. I don't admire people that are willing to step on their coworkers in order to make themselves look better because what that does is tells me you're not confident enough to rise above them on your own that not only do you have to step up, but you have to pull them down. And no, 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 that is not a good thing, and I do not like it. So after a couple of warnings, two to be exact, this was the third incident, in case the Texas Workforce Commission is listening, but after the third incident, I pulled this individual into the office, and I was talking to them, and they were talking over me, and they were interrupting me, and they were raising their voice at me, and they were flailing their hands everywhere, and I finally... And I could tell, I could see that this individual, that the way that they communicated was very different than the way I communicated. And so he wasn't going to pick up on my ways. And I did not want to communicate in the way that he communicated. But I, a light bulb went off in my head. Bing, bing, bing. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have to communicate the way he communicates. And so... After a few sentences of me talking and him interrupting me and me talking and him cutting off and raising his voice at me, I finally stood up. And let me let me just tell you, he was getting pretty escalated. He was getting pretty loud. It, there was no threat of physical violence or I didn't I had no worry that this individual and I would would go toe to toe or blow to blow. So I stood up and I unleashed on this guy. I'm talking about I've never screamed louder at anyone in all of my life, I've never, ever spoken to anyone with that tone of voice. And I'm talking like face red, veins popping out of my neck, probably spitting all over the place, pointing at him with my index finger, shaking my hand towards his, you know, towards his head. We're about four feet apart, five feet apart. And so I went off on him and he understood it. It made sense to him. Now, he still lost his job. But it made sense to him. And I briefly spoke about this a couple weeks ago whenever I said, you know, I wrote him a text message explaining to them why they got fired. And one of the big things on there was like, you do not listen. You are a poor listener. And so I just thought it was odd the way that he refused to accept input in any other form than being yelled at. Like, I'm not talking yell. I'm talking screaming. Imagine yelling at the top of your voice as loud as you possibly can to someone. And that's what was happening. And I didn't feel angry like I was about to fight. I didn't get the nerves. The my you know, no voice was rattling. I felt calm as could be because it was all an act, right? It was just a, it was just a show. But I was like, okay, it worked. Man, I got to, I need to identify that in the future so that I don't have to go down that road because it was not comfortable. It wasn't fun for anyone. I'm sure the coworkers heard me all down the hallway. But either way, it happened and I and I'm owning it. But it's just uh it's something I think we need to be cognizant of when we communicate with people is to try to understand how they communicate. I remember 
going through a, a management training or some kind of leadership class at this company I used to work for called David Weekly Homes. And they explained the difference between the golden rule and the platinum rule. The golden rule is to treat people how you want to be treated. The platinum rule is to treat people how they want to be treated. And it works. If you can figure out how people communicate and communicate with them and their style, it'll work better. I promise you, it'll work better. Now, obviously, you can't run around screaming at people if that's their preferred style. It only can happen a couple times. But that that's, in my opinion, that's their issue. They, they haven't learned how to adapt their communication to social norms. And maybe he will, you know. I, I, I said it when I first talked about it, but maybe he'll learn from it and move forward because I sure as heck did. I'll tell you what, I do not want to be screamed at by me. I tell you that. So don't mess with me when it comes to words like that. Yeah, do not mess with Nancy Pelosi. No one has still given me a good answer about why we let people stay in politics until they're like too old to even stand up on their own. I mean, don't get me wrong. I respect old people a lot, like a lot, a lot. I respect their wisdom. I respect that they're willing to say things that haven't been said before or they used to would not say for whatever reason. But there comes to a certain point when we cannot put them into positions of leadership. And in China, when you're 66, they supposed to kick you out. You're supposed to be done, retired. Go live the life, fish with your grandkids. And I think that's a good thing. I think we should do the same thing. I'm not saying that that's the age. I'm saying we should pick an age. And at that point, you are kicked out of the government. Any federal government employee or state, even if you want to do that too, after you, and I'm fine with 66, pick 66. You go, you retired. You're done. You've served a good life. You've done good. You've changed the world. You've gotten rich. It's time to just go chill. But nope, we got these old people trying to make regulations about cryptocurrency. To creepy dough. Creepy dough currency. To creepy dough. Remember when, he, remember when he called it creepy dough? To creepy dough. Creepy dough. I will henceforth refer to it as creepy dough. To creepy dough. Creepy dough. To creepy dough. Currency. Currency. Creepy dough. To creepy dough. Currency. Currency. You got old people trying to make laws about creepy dough currency. And they shouldn't. They shouldn't be able to. Because they're out of touch with reality. Their cognitive awareness is failing. And that's okay. That's okay. But we, we should stop it. We really should. We should at least make a pact to vote them out. I'm really looking forward to technology being able to connect people for this type of reason. If you could get people on board to vote everyone out at the age of 60-whatever, maybe it'll change things. Maybe we'll all be able to collude with one another and say, hey, if, if we want to get these people out, we all need to vote this way. And maybe it'll work, you know? I, I'm holding out hope. I'm somewhat of an internal optimist, and I'm aware of that. But in my positive world, this kind of thing happens. That our significant climate investment will, quote, help turbocharge the, emer the, ener the, uh, the excuse me, tur turbocharge the emerging global clean energy, clean energy economy. What were you doing? I was reading their quote. Sorry. Okay, no worries. Speaking of AI, 
I'm sure most of you had already heard. Maybe some of you have. Maybe some of you haven't. Maybe I've already talked about it. But a new technology has been released, and now it's getting a lot of notoriety. It's OpenAI is the name of the company, originally founded by, you're right, Elon Musk, the old muskrat, finding companies that will change the future, or I guess founding, I should say. But either way, this company focuses on artificial intelligence. And their whole goal is to create AI and use it in a business setting to help businesses and content creators create content. So if you haven't checked it out, I highly encourage you go to, I think it's openai.com, and then go to chat GPT or GPT chat, whatever it's called. You'll see it when you get there. You do have to set up an account. They get your email address. But you can go in there and you can type in, write me a poem about frogs. And it'll give you a long poem about frogs. You can say, tell me a story about a little boy who found a penny. It'll write the story about a little boy who found a penny. So this is just the beginning, but people are seeing this and everyone's flipping out. and They're thinking, wow, this is, this is going to change the way we do things. And yes, of course, of course it will. Like I always say, we're about to be in a race to see who can build the best robots that are the best robot builders. And so creating this thing, this open AI, artificial intelligence, is, is going to take the place of, you know, used to we'd say, oh, you better, better make sure you know how to, you know, do something that requires skill. Otherwise, if you're just a burger flipper, then Flippy the robot is going to take your job. Well, now we're figuring out that people who write code aren't safe because this thing can write code. This thing you can say, I, I know nothing about writing code. But you can tell it in, in simple human terms what you want to happen, and it will write the code to make that happen. Now, I, I'm too stupid to play with that part of it, but I have played a lot with the, the, the writing portion where you can ask it questions, you can give it a task to tell you a joke, songs, all sorts of things. And so recently, they put out an offer to raise funds. So when you have a company and you need to raise money, this is a this is a private company, right? So there's not it's not publicly traded on the stock exchange. It's just it's private, which means its money has to be bought into by individuals. It's not just on the open exchange. So when they need to raise money, they say, "Hey, we're we're doing fundraising. We're raising money. Would you like to buy in the company?" If the answer is yes, what they then have to do is figure out what the company's worth. Because if I'm buying a company, what percentage am I going to get of that company? If I walk to a Ford, if I walk to Ford and I said, you know, here's my thousand dollars, here's my Ford stock, you know exactly what percentage of that company you own. But whenever you're buying into a company directly from the company, you have to assign a valuation because your contribution to that total valuation is the percentage of that company that you own. So Let's just say that this open AI company five years ago, they were worth $10 million. And I went in and I said, hey, I want to buy in your company. And they said, cool. And I gave them a chunk of money. Let's just say I gave them a million bucks. I would then own 10% of the company because, remember, we all agreed the company's worth $10 million. I gave them a million. They gave me 10% of the company. That's very, very simplified, but that's basically how it works. So this open AI company who developed ChatGPT or GPT, I don't know what it's freaking called, G, ChatGPT, I think. Anyway, 
They developed it, and they're trying to raise money. So now they're going to go to the market, and they're going to say, hey, who wants to buy into this company? Remember, this is not stocks. This is private equity is what it's called. Who wants to buy into our company? And it's really this, these types of deals are reserved for the who's who, the rich people. You have to be a certain. You have to have a certain amount of money to even be considered in the deal. They're not going to take five hundred bucks, right? They want millions from from each individual. They don't want to be dealing with a lot of people. They just want to, they want the money. So in order to buy in this company, you got to figure out what it's worth. Well, this company, mind you, did two hundred million dollars a year in revenue, and that may sound like a lot. But it's really not. In the, in the world of companies and big companies, $200 million is not all that much. So the company is losing money. They're going backwards. The $200 million that they made didn't cover near their expenses. All right? So you think to yourself, well, if the company's losing money, they're probably not worth that much. It's probably only worth a little bit. I mean, who would buy into a company that's losing money? you got to remember that this company and most technology companies – are playing the long game. They're saying, we're willing to lose money now because we need to keep funding what we're doing. Because one day, what we're doing is going to take off. And whenever it takes off, that's when it hits and we all get rich. So this company, who did $200 million a year in revenue, was valued. They said this company is worth $30 billion. So that is... 150 times their revenue, which is unheard of. It's that that big of a valuation, right? If I told you a company's doing 200 million in revenue, you might expect them to sell for 1.5 billion, 2 billion, two and a half, three, maybe four, five. But this company's selling for 30 billion dollars. Now, it's not like someone's buying the entire company out. It's just people are buying into it, and so. In the future, if they do this again before they go public, because eventually they'll go public, and that's where the big money comes. But until they go public, they're going to keep raising this valuation until, unless something goes wrong and they figure out they have nothing. But that would have already been determined. So what that tells us is that the people who are investing expect their money to be turned over like an exorbitant amount. They're expecting huge returns. And the reason they're expecting that is because of how valuable the software is. They see that what this thing can do will be worth lots and lots and lots and lots of money. Gallery furniture really will save you money. So it's going to be super interesting to see where it goes from here. You know, I don't know what to expect. AI is advancing at an extremely fast rate, and it's coming. It is coming for the jobs of those which are the least valuable. That's how technology works. It, it goes, it takes the, the low-hanging fruit. The easiest thing to replace is the first thing to get replaced. And so, yeah, it's going to be um, interesting to see if it, if it displaces the people because, you know, there's lots of writers out there that they write content and they write blogs, and it's already a crowded marketplace. It's already a global market now, right? There's people who speak English all over the world and so if I need someone to write me a, a script on how to do something for my website, I can contract it out to someone in another country, and they are willing to work for almost no, no money compared to the U.S. But now we're going to have AI can do that for us. So it won't be long before we'll be able to just paste a link into a video and say, describe to me what they're doing in this video. 
and it's going to spit it out. We're not far. We're not far from that. Remember, until this stuff becomes mainstream, the only people that learn about it are the hardcore computer geeks or the guys that do the programming, the guys that are in the industry, right? If a new invention comes about, a new golf club, you don't hear about it. The first people to hear about it are the ones who are in the golf industry, maybe the golf pros and the people who are deeply embedded. As time goes on, the more that the golf invention revolutionizes the industry, the more everyone hears about it. And in this case, we're not limited to golf players. Everyone will be affected by what AI can do. The moral of the story is make sure you can do your job well. Otherwise, you might just lose your job. You are about to lose your job. Yeah, you're about to lose your job. Make yourself valuable. Make yourself where you cannot be replaced by a robot. Speaking of robots, I have been reading about people implanting chips into themselves. And before you start screaming about what you're going to do and what you're not going to do and what it does and all that, relax. We're not there yet. I mean, this is just what we call a teaser. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be doing some research over the next couple of weeks and start figuring out what this, what this looks like, implanting chips into people. But we all know it's coming, right? And what's funny to me is that eventually there's going to be a huge argument. It'll be a take the chip or not take the chip. And then over time, I suspect everyone will take the chip. I don't haven't. I'm not ready to put a year horizon on this. I know I like to put a time frame out there. I'm gonna hold off on that for now. But just know that I'm doing research for you about implanting chips into our bodies, what it will look like, what the first wave will do, and then how it goes from there. And for my next trick, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the speaker of the house thing. I'm not gonna beat a dead horse. I'm also getting ready to go. And then at the end of the show, I'm going to make a big announcement. I've got a big, 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 huge announcement coming. I mean, like, really big, like, so big. But briefly about the Speaker of the House debacle, I'm sure everyone heard, but the quote-unquote Republicans couldn't decide on who the Speaker of the House should be. And there's a lot of backlash that mainly came from the left, talking about how stupid they were and how divided they were and how childish they were being and how they don't just go along to get along. Quite frankly, I was happy. I was happy about it. I think it's good that people need to stand up for what they don't agree with. Make a scene. Make a wave. Make them understand that you're you're done with the foolery, that you don't want to just go along to get along. And if you see something you don't like, it's more important that you stand on your principles then if we just, let's just vote, let's just get this over with. We can all go home. We're all tired. We don't need to do this. Don't push back. No, make a statement. And you got these people like idiot Dan Crenshaw, who is so mad he can hardly speak. They got him up there in one of the talking head CNN shows or whatever. They got him all fired up. He's calling these people in his own party terrorists. They, they were, and they were, must have been paid by the Democrats. He just couldn't believe that they wouldn't just go along. Well, come to find out, old Dan has got a gift in store for or or Kevin McCarthy has got a gift in store for Mr. Crenshaw, the up-and-coming Republican golden child who the establishment's already got their claws into. They're already controlling him. They're already funding him with tons of money. As long as he does what they tell him to do, he'll be fine, which is that's where we are with him. So 
word around the campfire, and I heard this on another radio show whose host name is Michael Berry. And listen to him a lot, and I get a lot of information from him. So if he's wrong, then I'm wrong. But we all get our information from somewhere, and we all have to trust who we get our information from. But the word on the campfire is that Crenshaw has already gotten the nod, the secret nod to be chief of the Homeland Security blah, blah, blah. And he was so worried that he wasn't going to get that spot if McCarthy didn't get the speaker nomination that he was just throwing little temper tantrums about being upset and dividing the party and they're terrorists. I mean, he called them terrorists. Guys, come on. This was a Navy SEAL. He lost his eye in war, okay? Why is he calling Republican politicians terrorists? This is just as bad as the stupid people on the left calling everyone Nazi, fascist, racist, fill in the blank. It's just as bad. So this guy, if he's never been out of my book, he is completely out I got no love for him. If I have to vote for this guy in the general election, oh, it's going to be a sad day. It will be a sad, sad day. So start thinking about that. If you're into politics, do your research on Dan Crenshaw, okay? It's nice. He was in war. He's a war hero. He loves to be condescending and talk down to people, but he's not a good dude, and he's corrupt, just like the rest of them. So that's it. That's my take. Let the parties divide within themselves. Like, I am not willing to sacrifice principles within a party just to make things easy or to make things smooth or to make sure the Democrats don't think bad things about them. No. Make waves. Make ripples. You know, you fight your brother in your living room, but when you walk out of the house, you're on the same team. And that's how I feel about this situation. Let them duke it out. Let the party figure out who they want to lead. And if you got a couple people that are holding out, if they hold out long enough, maybe they can gain some negotiating power. Or if And if people around them don't like them, then they'll get out of politics. But telling people that they shouldn't sort out their problems, it's like, it's like when you're sitting with your buddy and you're drinking beers, all right? And you're in your garage. And you're kind of getting in a heated debate. You're talking about gun control or something that, you know, you both feel different on. You don't talk about it too much. But now you've had a couple beers. You know what? I'm going to talk to you about guns. And then your wife comes out and it's like, hey, stop. Stop arguing. Don't. Don't say that. Stop. Guys, can't we just be friends? And the answer is no. We can't. We're going to sort this out. We're grown men. We can discuss things in a heated manner. And we'll still play golf tomorrow. This is the same way about the Speaker of the House. Regardless of who you like, you should be okay with a little bit of conflict inside. That's it. That's all I'm going to say. And with that, I will wrap things up. Was there something else? I said I was going to talk about something, but I don't know what. I don't know you what. You cannot stop Brendan. You can only hope to contain him. Ah, uh, yes. Ah, uh, yes. The huge announcement. A lot of you have been hearing me talk about for like a year, <laughs> maybe more, about the Hammock Project. Well, I wanted to announce it here first. The hammock website is live. I've got hammocks in stock. I'm not making guarantees that things won't go wrong if you order a hammock. But I'm telling you what. I'll tell you one thing. And the next section is going to be an advertisement, and I'm okay with that. No one pays me to advertise. I'm going to advertise my own products. So 
These hammocks are the best hammocks in the world. And that is not a joke. Not a joke. Which reminds me that I need to get a clip of Biden saying not a joke. Not a joke. But it's not a joke. These hammocks are the best in the world. How do you know that, Brandon? Yeah, Brandon, how do you know that? Because I've been almost all over the world. Not to every country, but I've been to a lot of countries. I've been to a lot of countries where they use hammocks, and I've tried to find the best hammock, and I have found it. And it's Nicaragua. They make the most comfortable, most durable, strongest, most comfortable hammocks. Now, with that in mind, they're not cheap, okay? I got to get them made. I got them shipped. I got to pay clearance for customs. I got to pay shipping. I got to get them then shipped from where they arrive in the U.S. to Corpus Christi. Then I got to stock them, and then I got to ship them to you. So they're not cheap. There's a price point that can suit just about any budget. The absolute most expensive hammock on the website is $375, and that includes shipping to the continental U.S. from me to you. And these hammocks will last you, I don't want to say a lifetime because it depends on how often you use them, but I use my hammock about three to four hours a night because I don't use a couch. And that's where I do my reading and my researching and my listening and my relaxing. So three to four hours a night, I think I'm going on two years for mine. And I'm not joking. When I say like I don't use the couch, I do not use the couch. Whenever everyone's done working and they go to relax and they go in a recliner or they go sit on the couch, I go to the hammock. And that's I, I'm not exaggerating. Anyone who knows me will verify it. So $375 may sound like a lot of money for a hammock. But what if I told you that that's the best hammock in the world? So for three times the price of a cheap hammock, maybe two and a half, two on some of them, you can get the best quality in the world. And it's a huge leap. I ordered one from Amazon. I paid $265 for it. It was absolute garbage. That hammock was what showed me, okay, I got to figure out how to import these because I knew they were there. I just had to figure out a way to get them here. That was a tricky part. So the website is worldsbesthammocks.com. World's Best Hammocks. All spelled out, no dashes or dots or periods. www.worldsbesthammocks.com. And there is some awesome American flag and Texas flag hammocks on there that I suspect will go quickly. And so if you want to make this round, because we're going to run out of hammocks, I think I've got 35 or 40 in total, but I've only got four or five of the high-end, fancy American flag, Texas flag ones. So if you want one, jump in there now. I'm not giving out any discounts. I can do that in the future. I've come to the realization that when you start a business, you should not feel obligated to give discounts to anyone. So that's where I am. They're amazing hammocks. You will not be disappointed. I will give you your money back if you order it and do not like it. And every order of the of the Nicaraguan hammocks comes with straps and clips to hang it. So you don't have to buy any hardware. You don't have to screw anything into anything. It's all set up. It's super easy. Anyone can figure it out. I've also got some cheaper nylon uh, parachute hammocks that are really lightweight, great for traveling. Those are 25 bucks, including shipping plus tax, 25 bucks. I've had mine that I got it from the same place in China for five, six years, taking it with me on every trip, and they're high quality, low price, low weight. 
so that's it. That's my huge announcement. Worldsbesthammocks.com. Check it out. You're going to hear that name a lot. I'm going to be using this podcast to push that website. This is what all the smart kids do. They're telling me these days. You know, I should have started doing this 10 years ago, but here I am. You will hear the name World's Best Hammocks a lot. Get used to it. Since no one bothered to sponsor me, I'm going to sponsor myself. And with that, I'm going to close the show. I want to thank you for listening to this hour-long podcast of me ranting and rambling and stuttering and stumbling over things that I don't know much about. I hope that everyone has a great week. I would like everyone to be brave. Go out there, share your opinions. Have a cigar with your neighbor. Get in a heated debate so that his wife comes out and asks if you can just be friends and then say no and then hang out with him again the next night. Have high expectations for your kids and by golly, teach them that working hard is a good virtue. We need more of that. Appreciate the different types of cultures and food and values. It's okay to laugh about them, but don't make fun of them. Thanks again for listening. Keep it tranquilo.